Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Anthony uh, Hennon, yes, centersquare.com, talking about all things all things Pennsylvania. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Don? Good, good. It's been a while. I know we got um, – so yeah. t- take me through what you're writing about, um, and I know you're always so busy just uncovering what's going on. First of all, I know that you we had talked about this and, and covered this as far as East Palestine. I don't think we've talked since then, but Joe Biden – the reaction that you've seen with the president finally a year later going to East Palestine, Ohio, the site of that spill, you've covered a lot on the Pennsylvania side as far as um, the policymakers here dealing with, you know, the fallout from that. But I, I just wanted, I just wanted to gauge any reaction you had as far as the president's visit, how the community received him and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, when you look at this, uh, it's, I, I don't think there's been a big shift. I, I think there's still a sense of, you know, this is an area, this is a place that's being forgotten simply because of, you know, the location, how few people are out there. You know, it's not as influential economically or politically. Um, you know, I, I think it also didn't exactly help where uh, when Biden finally made it out there, you know, he, he made the promise that he would come and visit within a year. Um, he really snuck in there under the radar, I think. I mean, only only a, a week or two, I think, yeah. from uh, when he actually said he would be there a year ago. Um, so I, I don't think that quite helps. But I think the broader issue outstanding here still is not getting enough support that people, that residents in that area think they deserve. Um, yeah. I think there's still a lot of questions about just how well this testing is being done. Because, again, I mean, I, I don't think uh, there's much reason to doubt them when they're saying the water is safe, the air is safe, the soil is safe. They've done a lot of testing there. But one of the areas that still lingers is uh, testing inside buildings and testing to see if, you know, chemicals have been absorbed into clothes, into fabric, um, into the walls, paint, things like that. Um, and also really getting to the bottom of people who are saying they got sick after um, the derailment and uh, the quote-unquote controlled burn-off. Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of room that state and federal entities could actually, uh, you know, make some changes, make some adjustments, and really try to show locals that they are legitimately concerned about, you know, local health effects yeah. and how the community will do. Uh, but I don't think Biden coming to visit has really moved the needle all that much. 
So you were, we're talking about, um, so many stories and I have a plethora of all the stories that you've been reporting on. But for example, you're talking about new local taxes are being eyed for the mass transit financial woes that we're seeing. And many say this isn't fair that folks in rural areas who don't have this kind of mass transit will pay for it. And it's, it's a distribution of wealth that's unfair. Take me through your story on this. Yeah, so I think this is an interesting one simply because people don't realize how a lot of these mass transit systems are funded. So when we're looking at SEPTA, it's roughly about 60% of that funding is actually federal funding. And then another 30% or so is state funding. Local funding, which includes Philadelphia and the Collar counties, all it comes out to something like 10% of SEPTA's overall budget when you actually dig into these documents. Um, and so, you know, SEPTA has been staring down a roughly $240 million budget deficit, um, which is, of course, a result of the pandemic hitting and then um, remote work really uh, cutting down how, how much people actually come into, uh, you know, center cities to work rather than work from home. Um, so that's created some issues. But, you know, this has been a longstanding problem. I mean, SEPTA has been talking about this for more than a year now that we're finally hitting against the deadline of when federal funding will be um, uh, federal pandemic era funding. It's getting cut down now is when we're actually seeing some action. Um, and so Governor Shapiro's proposed budget would boost um, SEPTA funding from the state. But again, I think when we're looking long term, there, there's kind of two big questions. One is whether SEPTA can really work with local governments to get more transit-oriented development, which basically means along SEPTA bus lines, along subway lines, regional rail, whether you get more density of housing getting built. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the more dense you can make these corridors, the more riders you get, the more tax revenue that tends to come, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I think that's one level. I think another is whether we actually see more localities uh, paying to actually fund SEPTA, um, which would then generate, you know, more, uh, at least in theory, mm-hmm. would generate more, um, more service, um, quality improvement, quality improvements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it seems like at least the collar counties were getting more willingness to say, okay, we need to pay more to fund this. Um, but I think there's a long road ahead. We're seeing some movement in the state legislature that would give, um, localities at least the option to uh, add in um, taxes to fund transit. Uh, but that's still, it's, it's still very much an open question. And Anthony, is, uh, we're talking to Anthony Hannon, centersquare.com. So two stories that you wrote about that are interrelated. One is talking about the opioid crisis. Your headline is not a situation that can be solved by the police. And the other one is a striking statistic that states that a third, one third of all fatal drug crashes um, in Philadelphia are being linked to fentanyl. That's, you know, this is something that we don't, we talk about DUIs, but I don't think people really think of the fentanyl crisis as something that relates to, you know, car crashes. So take me through the, the crashes here. Yeah, I, I think what this really shows is just how, how huge of a footprint the drug crisis really has and the opioid crisis really has. It's not just, you know, it's not just drug users who are getting affected and really getting the negative consequences of this. And it's not even just, you know, neighborhoods like Kensington that really bear the full brunt of this. This is happening, you know, there, I mean, there's unfortunately a number of different um, instances where people who uh, 
just people driving home or driving somewhere have been hit by someone high on fentanyl and someone either was died or seriously injured. Um, you know, th- this is not just something that we can kind of cocoon off into drug programs. This is something that's really slipping out. I mean, across the state, uh, this is a big problem. Um, even when you look at uh, Philadelphia's collar counties, uh, we're seeing a significant number of crashes um, in the realm of 15, 20 percent where it's linked to drug use. Um, and a lot of this really is um, being driven by fentanyl, um, just as we've seen fentanyl displace op- uh, heroin as far as illicit drug use, um, which makes uh, the overdose deaths go up. Uh, This really is something where if we want to improve the quality of life statewide for all residents, um, we really need to address the drug crisis. And unfortunately, it's not just a situation of arresting our way out of this. Yeah, but one third, and you even go through county by county, and this was from a, a car insurance company that did all the research through the National Highway Traffic Traffic Safety Administration, 21% of all fatal crashes in Bucks County, 15% of those in Delco and Chester County, 12% of those in Lancaster County. I think that this is such an important story because a lot of people, to your point, Anthony, will think, oh, well, you know, they're talking about Kensington or in an urban area, etc., but these are suburban, many of them suburban or rural areas where these car crashes now are linked back to fentanyl. Yeah, I, I think also it, it really reveals, you know, even when we're looking at transportation, you know, we, we've seen pedestrian deaths increase um, since the pandemic. Overall, we've seen more fatal traffic crashes as um, cars, have, cars and SUVs have been getting bigger and bigger. Um, so again, you know, I think this really exacerbates um, some other not so positive trends uh, we've seen, and it's you know it, unfortunately again it's not just um, relegated to these negative consequences, these costs falling on yeah. drug users. This is this is affecting everybody, unfortunately. And then the other piece of this is talking about the opioid crisis. We're still dealing with it, coping with it, uh, treating drug addiction, and you talk about law enforcement. And the fact that it can't really be solved by police. Yeah, I mean, th- this was a very interesting, um, I believe it's a House Republican policy committee hearing um, last week where they were talking about all these issues um, where I mean, we have county DAs admitting, you know, this is this is not something we, we can't just confiscate mm-hmm. all the illicit drugs out there. We can't arrest everyone on it to solve this problem. Um, this is simply, you know, this is an addiction issue. This is a health issue. And we heard from a lot of officials, a lot of, um, experts working in recovery, trying to help people. Um, this is, it's such a massive problem. And I think this is getting reflected a good bit as we've seen, um, the money from the opioid settlement start to flow out to counties. A lot of counties are, you know, they're not just throwing money into, getting drug sniffing dogs or trying to keep drugs out of jail or hire more police officers. We've seen a much bigger push to fund these um, you know, recovery centers to fund, um, you know, outreach to people using drugs and trying to get them help. Uh, you know, I, I think what's stunning is w- when you read about this enough or you're reporting on this enough, just how many state legislators are either former addicts or they've had a friend or family member die from an overdose. I mean, this constantly comes up in these hearings where at least one Democrat or one Republican sitting on committee there will talk about their personal experiences here. 
Um, and you know, again, unfortunately, this is, this is not something that's just a criminal justice issue. This is something that goes across health. This is something that goes across just building stronger communities and making sure people can actually reach out to someone they love or trust to get help. So we had talked about higher education. Governor Josh Shapiro had laid out his, you know, his dream, his dream budget, if you will, and talking about reforming higher education. But as far as the state college system, you're writing about all of this still in the dark. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Yeah, this, uh, if, if you uh, care to pull up some of these um, appropriations hearings and watch the House and the Senate talk with uh, past City Chancellor Dan Greenstein, uh, you kind of feel bad for him because a lot of the questions that senators and state representatives are asking him, uh, a lot of them he just simply responded with, I don't know, or I can't answer that question um, because, you know, uh, Governor Shapiro is pitching a big higher ed reform idea of combining the community college and Pasche system of making sure that tuition for, you know, anyone from a family making up to $70,000 a year is only $1,000 per semester. Um, Greenstein doesn't really have any information about this. He's not involved in a lot of these high level talks of how to work out the details of this reform plan. Um, so, you know, even with the Pache Chancellor, he's about as in the dark as the general public is. And this kind of complicates um, not only his proposal for uh, trying to get more funding for the Pache system and keep tuition frozen for a seventh year, um, but I think it really makes Republicans more skeptical of Shapiro's proposed plan simply because, you know, it's budget season. It's we're supposed to have something done in a couple months. And uh, as far as higher ed goes, we don't really know what's going on yet. And so for this, our, you know, you're looking at a, enrollment and they're talking about a decline in enrollment. They've talked about combining the systems or, or what are we facing, you know, layoffs of professors? Are, they're just not giving us anything. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. When you look at PASHI alone as a system, I mean, they, they've had some fairly significant reforms um, simply because the system has really lost a lot of its student population in the last decade. Um, you know, you, you look into PASHI's numbers and they've cut, oh, I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, they've cut something like 20% at least, maybe more of its um, administrative positions kind of running uh, not so much in line with student declines, but coming close to it. We're still losing more, a higher percentage of students than we are um, staff and administration. 
Um, we've seen uh, the combination of six Apache institutions into two, um, but we're not necessarily seeing huge financial um, savings just yet. Um, you know, again, during the hearings, uh, Greenstein was clear that the uh, combination of universities was not to save money, it was to make the system more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have a lot of um, outstanding building debt from the early 2010s when a lot of these institutions um, built. But it's interesting just watching how do you revive and reform a system that's lost a lot of students in the past decade in a state where the po- college age population is shrinking. Um, Pashi is basically betting on trying to pull students who have you know done a little bit of college but then dropped out, but they could come back and finish their degrees. And they're also trying to pull in more adult learners who are trying maybe to get a certificate Smart. or to get some other certification. Um, to pivot into a new career. Whether that'll work, you know, time will tell. It's still not clear. There's still a lot of challenges here. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, as far as if you're interested in higher education at all, PASHI is a system to watch of how they deal with these challenges. Absolutely. And finally, I just, uh, we got to talk about the bear hunt. The hunters, of course. we have more bear hunters, but the harvest is down. Uh-oh, where are all the black bears going? <laughs> yeah, uh, they might just they might just be getting craftier. Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're looking at some uh, data from the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Um, bear hunting is, I mean, it's more popular than ever. Just about um, last year, I believe they sold something like more than two hundred twenty thousand um, licenses for bear hunting, um, which was the fourth highest on record. Um, but the uh, the harvest, as they call it, um, this these past this past year. Um, was down, I mean, more lower than what we've seen in more than a decade. Um, some of this, it seems, is coming from the Game Commission not extending the hunting time in a few districts in the south-central and northwestern part of the state. Um, so that seems to be really driving some of it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's still, we, I believe hunters took about 2,900 bears last year. So, I mean, the bear population in Pennsylvania is rising. It's still as popular as ever to hunt them. Um but, you know, maybe this year uh, hunters were just a little off or, you know, just had some be- some worse luck than they usually do. Yeah, let's just say maybe the Pennsylvania bear hunters suck. Maybe they're just not good hunters. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, you know, may, may, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe maybe the better ones had some other uh, some other duties. Uh, but I believe the the biggest one they got last uh, this last year was a 640 pound bear. So, uh, you know, there's wow. still some some uh, high level of high levels of skilled hunters out there. See, you're so diplomatic because I'm going to get all these calls and the hate mail from the bear hunters. But I'm just I'm just saying, you know, not all hunters are created equally. You know, not everybody's a good shot, you know, or do they, now does anybody I know in Jersey they've tried to crack down. But do you do they keep track of as far as. Um, because do, do we still have crossbow hunting with bear hunting? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the most bears were taken with a traditional firearm, but the yeah. second highest uh, method was um, archery. I believe it was something like more than 600 bears that way. So, something in that range. So, yeah, I mean, we still have hundreds of uh, bear hunters going out just with a bow and arrow to do it. Have you ever been bear hunting? I have not. I've only gone squirrel hunting so far, so uh, that's that's on my list. You're, you're at the JV level, so <laughs> not even deer hunting yet. Well, you're a good sport. Anthony Hannon, uh, centersquare.com. Now, you do great work. You have so much uh, that you've been covering, and 
all these. You mentioned some of the meetings that you have to sit through. So we appreciate that you save all of us from from uh, doing all this work. So, Anthony, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 